Thanks again for letting me preach and um, for having Jessica and I here for, for um, the time that we've been here and the time we've been granted to be here. And uh, Josh, thank you for, for being the pastor that you are, the, the mentor, the friend, um, the shepherd. I don't even know where you went. He's gone. Well, I'm thanking him he's not even here. Uh, but no, but really thank you all and for, for Womble and for Jake and for, for Matt and um, Austin, the, the brothers that have encouraged us and, and sharpened us, and we're very, very thankful for that. So turn um, to the book of Isaiah. It'll be Isaiah chapter 61. <clears throat> the overarching theme of our passage tonight, as y'all are turning there, um, is, is pretty simple. It's redemption. Redemption stories are always our, our favorites. They connect us with a main character. They tug at our hearts when that character finally seizes that vindication and that redemption. Uh, the March Madness is, is now done and over, and Virginia won the NCAA championship. But I think just about everybody remembers what happened to them last year, right? The first number one seed to ever be beaten by a 16 seed. And this year they won. They won all of it. And we, everybody loves a good story of redemption like that. The team that was an embarrassment is now the champion. Um, and more than likely, our favorite movies are redemption stories. Uh, has anyone seen Shawshank Redemption? Show of hands. Anybody seen that movie? Yeah, just about everybody. That movie is incredible. It's like the highest, I think it is the highest rated movie on IMBD. Um, and it's so well loved because the story of redemption. The main character is this successful accountant, um, and he is wrongfully convicted of a murder. And so he goes to prison, and he meets all these people, and he becomes kind of high up next to the warden. He's doing all the accounting stuff for him. But there, even still, they find the person who actually committed the murder, but the warden keeps him imprisoned and wrongfully treats him and, and hurts him. And then there's this uh, perfect night. There's one stormy, rainy, setting the scene. It's all dark and grim. And the warden goes to his jail cell trying to find this guy. And he just finds a lump of pillows. And, and then he tears down the, the poster and sees this tunnel that he's carved. And so they're frantically searching all the prison. They're looking around outside. It's chaos. And then it cuts to a scene of the main character standing in the rain, pouring down rain, tasting freedom, tasting redemption. And we love these redemption stories, and the Bible is full of them as well. And I think we connect so well with redemption stories because, as we'll see today in God's Word, it's our story as believers. And so, read with me in Isaiah chapter 1, or sorry, Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 4. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim, and proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. 
They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Let's pray. Father, I ask for your um, grace this evening as, we, as I preach your word and as we learn from it, God. I pray that, um, that your word would cut deep, that it would uh, not just bounce off of our ears or off of our brains, but God, it would sink deep, that it would have a lasting impact in our hearts, that our lives would be changed and that we would be moved to more faithful living and more faithful worship of you, our God, our King, and our Savior in Jesus. And in his name we pray, amen. My first point from this passage tonight is that the Lord brings redemption, sorry, the Lord's redemption brings humility. And we see this when we we start to understand what this text meant for Isaiah um, and the nation of Israel. And so we're jumping into a massive, uh, massive prophecy to God's people. And Isaiah is writing in the midst of Israel's decline. They're, they're starting to fade away. Um, and he has been warning them of the coming destruction, of their coming exile that's about to happen. The nation's about to bring them away, to take them captive. And he's pleading with them. And he's pleading with them to repent and to turn back to the Lord before his God's judgment comes upon them. And Isaiah's message up to this point has been terrible news for God's people. It's been centered around their sin and God's wrath. But then he sort of turns um, in, in, in late chapter 50 or so, and he starts looking and talking about this future day that's coming when all things will be made new, a restoration, a future redemption, good news, finally some good news. And so here we are in verse one, and it's tricky. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news. And our call to worship today in Luke has already clued us in that this is a messianic writing. Jesus said that this passage is about me and it is fulfilled in me. But before we get to that, that doesn't negate the messenger. Isaiah as a prophet has also been anointed by the Lord and guided by the Holy Spirit to write these words to Israel. And he's not just simply filled with the Spirit, but he has been given a mission. He's been given a sermon to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Amidst all of the poverty, all of the coming brokenness, all of this future imprisonment, Isaiah says that there will be a time of liberty. There will be a time of healing. And there will be riches. And so I want us to turn real quick uh, to Luke chapter four. This is our call to worship. Um, I think this is important that we understand uh, before we get too far into this text. We've already read this. We already know kind of what's happening here. We'll, We'll pick up right in verse 17 Jesus has just begun his ministry. Um, He is uh, now at the temple. He's at the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He picks up this scroll. It is our text today. It's Isaiah 61. And he reads these words. We'll start in verse 17. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me 
because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. He has set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled it up and gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. Their eyes, the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So in Luke chapter four, we see that Jesus has come to proclaim and fulfill this message. To fulfill the message that Isaiah wrote through the Holy Spirit all those years before. And Jesus too, just like Isaiah, he has a word to preach. He has a message for those who are broken to the afflicted, to the enslaved. It is not a message meant for the proud or the self-righteous, but it's meant for those who are desperate, those that are in need of saving. I think we can get frustrated uh, when we share the gospel with our friends, our family, our coworkers, and they don't respond. Countless gospel presentations and prayers and Easter invitations, and yet they stay indifferent or oppose, resistant to God. But think about the good news of Jesus is that it's only good news to those who know that they are in a bad place. It's good news to those who are not just poor financially, but poor spiritually. It's liberty to those who know that they are captives to their sin. It's freedom to those imprisoned by their guilt and by their shame. And so Luke tells us, and we see this in Isaiah, that Jesus has come as God's spirit-filled, anointed Messiah. He has come to proclaim good news to the poor and to the broken, to the slave. So are you bankrupt in your faith? Are you brokenhearted over your past mistakes? Are you chained and stuck in your sin? And tonight, hear the good news that Christ has bought your redemption with his life. He knew that you and I were unworthy of saving, yet he humbled himself to death on a cross. And then he hopped out of that grave just to prove to you and to me that it's done. Redemption is complete. Your sin is paid. The Lord brings, the Lord's redemption brings humility. Have you humbled yourself to see your poverty? Have you humbled yourself to see your wretchedness, to see all your mistakes and realize that you can't do it? You can't redeem yourself. Only he can. Only Christ can. The Lord's redemption also brings judgment. This is my second point. Let's look at verse two. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. And so you might be confused here and you may think that Isaiah seems to contradict himself. How can he talk about a year of the Lord's favor and also talk about a day that God will, will take vengeance? That seems like this is conflicting topics. 
And, and a commentator, John Calvin, he writes on this passage, why did Isaiah do this? Why did he join together things so opposite? Because, listen to what he says, God cannot deliver his church without showing that he is a just judge and without taking vengeance on the wicked. Judgment and justice are a crucial part of redemption. They are, um, or, or think again even to the movie of Shawshank Redemption, this movie that we, we, we've mostly all seen, the warden who wrongfully imprisons uh, the, the main character, who keeps him there, mistreats him, um, and is making this guy honestly cook the books, right? That's why he's keeping him there. Um, he is served justice before he escapes, and the real murderer is revealed, and this main character is then redeemed. Judgment and justice are an essential part of God's perfect redemption plan. And I want to take just a second to talk about two different aspects of the Lord's vengeance in this passage, because I think it's tricky, and I think we can be confused by it. If we truly humble ourselves, and if we truly understand our condition, that we're depraved, that we're poor, that we're sinful, then we know that God cannot simply overlook that. Uh, he can't redeem us at no cost in, in the same way that a just judge cannot, uh, cannot not convict a murderer. He cannot condemn somebody as guilty and then give him no punishment or no condemnation. We've already touched on this a little bit, but judgment had to be rendered it had to be rendered on our behalf. The year of the Lord's favor demands a day of vengeance for our sin. And so that's what makes the gospel, that's what makes our redemption so glorious that Jesus freely took our verdict and bore God's punishment that was reserved for us. Vengeance was made on our blasphemy and sin, but it was made on the cross and on the shoulders of our Savior. So we sing hymns like he took our sin and our sorrow and he made them his very own. How marvelous, how wonderful is our Savior's love. The second aspect of the Lord's vengeance is set for those who oppose God, those who are his enemies, those who persecute his people. And I, th I think about it like this. For, God's, for God and for God's people to triumph, to truly be redeemed, then the wicked and those who oppress God's people and oppose them, they must be consequently punished. This seems unjust and this seems um, unfair, this seems mean, and so but we need to take a second and pause and even hear the Apostle Paul when he says these exact things in 2 Thessalonians. He says, God considers it just to repay with afflictions those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. So this is the spoiler to the story. This is uh, giving it away that God and those who he calls and those who he has redeemed and elected and those who believe in Jesus in faith that ultimately the redeemed win. Evil will be conquered. Those who oppose God will lose. 
And before we get, get too carried away, this shouldn't, and, and honestly, if you understand it correctly, it can't produce pride within our hearts. It can't. So before we think that they, they're losers and we're winners, it can't do that within our hearts. And in fact, I think this passage and, and elsewhere in God's word shows that it will do the exact opposite to us once we understand it. It humbles us. It humbles us. One commentator says on this verse that we ought to observe the cause of our deliverance. For to his mercy alone and not to our merits or excellence or industry must it be ascribed. And he says, above all things, we should attend to this, that our salvation lies entirely in the gracious will of God. So if it were not for God's grace, then we too would experience his judgment and his vengeance. So take comfort in mourning, as it says there in verse two. Take comfort in our mourning and praise the Lord for his favor towards us. And pray for those who have not yet yet experienced that redemption. We're getting so close to Easter. This is now Holy Week. We're at a time where so many people know what's about to happen. Uh, we're, we're bumping shoulders with them. There's, there's interest in, in church. And pray for them. Invite them. Share the gospel with them. Because the reality is, is that you and I, through faith in Jesus, we have placed it in him. We have tasted the Lord's favor, and we will continue to. But for them, that is not the case. A day is coming when Jesus will return. And he will bring a day of vengeance. And so this future aspect, um, this future aspect of this passage leads to my third and final point, that the Lord's redemption will bring restoration. Let's continue in our passage in verse three. To grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. The future aspect of this passage is that we have been redeemed fully and completely. There is no sin that remains if you have faith in Jesus. There is no sin that remains that has not been paid for by your Savior. You have been redeemed yet. The evidence of sin and injustice will remain. They still remain. And these verses leave us longing for the not yet, that we have already been redeemed through Christ, but we have not experienced the restoration. And Josh talked about this today, that waiting can be the hardest thing for God's people to do, waiting in that suffering. Waiting in a broken world with all of its pains, losing a child to a miscarriage battling round after round of chemo, grinding day after day just to put a meal on the table. John the Baptist gives us a good example of this and what this looks like in a believer's life. 
And so you don't, have to, you don't have to turn with me, but we're gonna, actually I'm gonna continue in Luke just a page over from where our call to worship was in chapter seven. And so this is in the middle of Jesus' ministry now. Uh, John the Baptist, who has prepared the way, is now in prison. And then we pick up here in verse 18. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord saying, are you the one who's to come or should we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who's to come or should we look for another? In that hour, he, Jesus, healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So John, John the Baptist, who has been proclaiming the coming of Jesus, now imprisoned and awaiting his death, and he's looking around and he's beginning to doubt. He's He's uncertain. I've been proclaiming that you are the Messiah, that you are God's anointed, and yet I'm looking around in prison and I'm not so sure anymore. And so he's asking Jesus, should we look for another? Did I mess up here? And Jesus' answer to him isn't, oh, oh, I forgot about you. Or it's not even, okay, I'm gonna save you next. I'm coming to you next. It's not that. And Jesus doesn't even tell him that he will rescue him from his imprisonment. Because as we know, he doesn't. John, just a few chapters later, will be beheaded. Instead, Jesus answers him by reminding him of Isaiah's prophecy. The Messiah has come. Jesus has come to redeem and to save, and yet we still await his restoration. And for John, uh, that answer was convincing. He recalled the prophet's words. And even though Jesus has forgiven our sins and he has redeemed us from death to life, sorrow still lingers and the waiting still hurts. But Jesus has a message for that too. He has good news to those who mourn. His victory is final. And his redemption will bring full restoration. And one day the effects of sin and the effects of the fall will be totally and completely undone. No more will we mourn and experience deep grief and sorrow, but we will be adorned and given gladness. Our weak and faint and and brittle spirits will be exchanged for garments of praise We will be called oaks of righteousness, mighty, strong oaks of righteousness planted by the Lord to display his beauty and his glory. If you had asked me even a year ago what Isaiah 61 said, I don't think I'd be able to tell you. I wouldn't have known. So the reason why I'm preaching it and when we're going through a series of of favorite verses is because my dad made that my favorite verse. When he was faced with a season of waiting, when he had tasted the redemption of his soul, but knew that he'd have to wait 
to see his body redeemed. And in that waiting, this verse, Isaiah 61, one through four, reminded him that the wait is worth it. This verse became the anchor for when he died, and it should be for ours too. Do you know that Christ has brought good news to your poor and broken soul tonight? That you have, have you experienced redemption and the forgiveness of your sins? If not, then humble yourselves before the Lord tonight and stop trying to do what only God can do and recognize your need of a savior. Are you weary from how hard and heavy life can be? Does your life feel like it's in ruins? Like you're devastated? Hear the words of Isaiah, fulfilled in Christ. The Lord has redeemed you and he has promised to restore you. Jesus died and was raised to save those who believe and believe him in faith. He has traded his righteousness for our sins. And so in the waiting, we proclaim his death, we proclaim his resurrection until he comes again, as scripture says, to take us home and make all things new. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope that we have in scripture. God, oftentimes we look to everywhere else for hope and for strength. We look to others, and although that's not a bad thing, we, we look to work, we look to money, but yet your word, your word is perfect. And your word um, speaks to our souls our hearts that are longing for a day when all things will be made new. And God, Isaiah spoke and Christ has fulfilled. You have brought a day of favor. You have redeemed us. God, even though we are redeemed, we still long and yet you speak to that, that you are coming again and you will restore all things. Wipe away every tear. We thank you for that. We look for that. That's our hope, our anchor. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.